0: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. A-Rod and I host a show called The Deal, and it's all about the intersection of sports, business, and culture. Recently, we got to sit down with Stephen A. to talk about something a little different for him, his business. If
1: I had to crystallize where business came to the forefront of my mind was when I got fired in 2009. There's a difference between making money and learning business.
2: Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. First things first, this is about truth-telling.
1: I have no agenda. Hero. Hero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what No Mercy is all about. Hey, here
4: I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime the clock sticking like my lifeline until i flatline i push it to the red line who gon' stop me high who gon' stop me high breath taking a move that i make i give it everything i got because that what it takes i push the limit till it break the heart of the brave the soul of a legend with the will to be great hold up
1: welcome <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy with yours truly, Stephen A. Smith, coming at you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, as I love to do, and as I have been doing for weeks now. You know something? I want to take a moment to talk to y'all about something. I recently turned 55 years old. I'm getting older. Sometimes I feel I don't look it, and I do think I look kind of good sometimes. Sometimes I'm struggling. You know, sometimes I'm looking at him, my hair dude just ain't right, you know. My receding hairline, I mean, I look at it and I say, well, damn, it's been receding for the last 20 years. Why am I so sensitive to it now when it was receding in the 30s? I mean, it ain't ain't worse than it was 15 years ago. My hairline's been far back, damn it. I've been tinkering on that George Jefferson status for quite a while. I know it. Just got a peanut head and I'm scared to go bald, that's all. But I do think I look good. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm 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 Denzel or I'm Shamar Moore or, you know, somebody like that. But damn it, I ain't Godzilla. The reality is, though, you get a little older. And when you get older, you got to realize that you just can't operate like you did when you were a young whippersnapper in your 20s like my one of my producers, Greg. You know, young whippersnapper, shave off all his facial hair, looking like he, Richie Cunningham from Happy Days back in the day. You can't do that. I mean, it's a little bit different now. But when you're in your 30s, you got to eat better when you get older. You got to rest more when you get older. Say no to things that you used to say yes to. That's if you want to be here for a while. Got to do those things. And I bring this up because, in case some of you didn't know, I've had two bouts with COVID. One was last December. It almost killed me. Now, maybe it wasn't COVID. Maybe it was the endoscopy I had the day of. And the fact that I was in the hospital and the endoscopy is when they're putting that tube down your throat and all of that other stuff and your mouth's wide open in a hospital filled with germs for crying out loud. I don't know. All I know is that that night I had COVID. Fever was 102.7, ultimately went up to 103.1. And then it fluctuated between. 101 to 103 for damn near three weeks. And when they come to you in the hospital, and they say, look, we're going to try this steroid and this antibody. And if this don't work, we're going to have to call your family. Because it's not looking good. Excuse my French lady. That's some, ladies and gentlemen, that's some scary shit. It really, really is. And I'm one of those people that pride myself on not being afraid to die. It's just how you die. You know, I don't want to die violently. I don't want to die some egregious death. Or whatever. I want to die in my sleep peacefully with no pain, as they say. But on that particular night, no. I, hell, as Bill Maher said to me recently on his podcast, it's all BS. You want one more breath. You want one more day. When you're that close. And that's how you end up feeling. Ultimately got out of that. That was the first time I had COVID. Second time was right now. You know, to deal with COVID. Luckily for me, it's not nearly as bad as it once was. I've been on the air already. I've been having meetings. I'm doing this podcast because I'm not having a respiratory issue. I'm not laboring with my breathing. Breathing. I don't have pneumonia in both lungs. This time, it was mild flu symptoms, a sore throat, a persistent headache. That's about it. So I've been very, very blessed and fortunate. But the bottom line is, it still forces you to reflect, if nothing else, on your health or lack thereof. And it forces you to think, maybe, just maybe, it's time to slow down. Perhaps working nonstop ain't the way to go. I West Indian man, you know. We work hard. A lot of times too hard. My mother, God rest her soul, worked 16 hours a day, seven days a week for 25 years with one week's vacation. So I know that's where I get my work ethic from. I do a show on ESPN, actually not one show, not two shows, but three shows. I have this podcast, which I own and operate. I've got a production company where I'm trying to create and produce content trying to make things happen, comes with a lot of hard work. Do I work hard? Yes. And if I'm being honest, my mother worked herself too hard. One of the biggest regrets that I have in my life is the fact that I wasn't successful soon enough to alleviate her from, having to, from being able to enjoy her life and her children and her grandchildren a bit more. I've got two daughters. I can't tell you how much joy it brings me to spend time with them, to pick them up from school, take them to the movies, just watching them grow up. It's important. As a black man, I'm not out of pocket in speaking on this issue. Some of us, not all, of course, there's exceptions to every rule, but we don't always take care of our health. Whether that entails taking our medication, eating right, Putting down the brown liquor because we love our Hennessy. Let's, let's call it what it is. Hennessy, Jack Daniels, Remy and Coke. I mean, come on now. We know. We don't always do the right things in terms of taking care of our health. I've been blessed and fortunate to be able to afford a few things. I should have a consistent personal trainer. Damn it, I haven't done it yet. I'm slipping. Take that back. I'm lying. Slipping implies that I was there and I tailed off. No, I ain't get there yet. So it's not slipping. No, I just need to step up my game. That's one of the reasons why I wish I was in Hollywood more. Because you got people there paid to look pretty. So they invest. They invest in their body. They invest in their health. Because they trying to look as good as they can for as long as they can. Because in their eyes, that's part of being successful in Hollywood. Me, damn it's just my ego. I need to do it for my ego, make myself feel better. But I'm speaking for a lot of people out there because it's just the truth. I'm proud, you know, like half the week at least I'm on plant-based diet. I cut back on my red meat. I cut back on my sweets. I mean, I don't eat as many Snickers. I cut out the Skittles. The sweet and sour patches, damn it, it's hard. It hard letting that stuff go. It's hard. I can't front. But I'm working on it. Do you know I only have eaten two bowls of crunch berries in the last two months? Ladies and gentlemen, you're talking to a brother that used to eat two bowls of crunch berries a day. I haven't proved. But that doesn't mean it's good enough. And always remember, just because you look good doesn't mean you feel good or that you're in good health. So, ladies and gentlemen, please take care of yourself because it's important. My guest coming up today is considered one of the funniest men in comedy today. He lives on the road 46 weeks out of the year. Despite his immense success, he had to confront health issues in a bout with COVID that opened his eyes to the importance of good health. There's a lot of things that he's had to take care of. This is a man who starred and executive produced the Netflix comedy series, Mr. Iglesias, about a good-natured public high school teacher. That show won a 2020 Imagine Award which recognizes positive portrayals of Latino actors in the entertainment industry. Remember that. This is a guy that sold out arenas from New York to L.A., to Sydney, Australia. There's also a guy that would be the first to tell you he's lucky to be with us today. And health is still a primary struggle in his life. He would happen to be one of the ultimate funny men himself. The one and only Gabrielle Fluffy Iglesias. He's next. Right here on No Mercy, Stephen A.
4: This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high?
1: My guest for this show is one of the most watched comedians on YouTube with almost a billion views and has over 25 million fans across social media. He is the first comedian to not only play a show at the historic Dodger Stadium, but sold out back to back shows, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome the one and only Gabriel Fluffy Iglesias. What's going on, Fluff? How are you, man? That
2: was a that was an intro. I got to I got to borrow that intro from now on. I that was I loved it. <laughs> and,
1: and you can steal it. You can steal it because I'll be damned if I don't steal stuff from you if I like it. Hell yes. yes. <laughs> how you doing, man? Doing great. <laughs> doing great. How's how is life for you right now? Considering I mean, you hear that. You sold out Dodger Stadium. I know. Correct me if I'm wrong. You were born in San Diego. Is that correct?
2: Were you, were you, were uh, you born?
1: born in San Diego,
2: grew up in Long Beach. Uh That's been, right. I still live here. So, yeah, there's, a, there's
1: smart, smart, because damn it, I'm jealous of the weather there. I'm jealous of the weather there. I miss it already. But let me ask you this, you, you know, to know that, to know your background and to sell out Dodger
2: Stadium, what did that mean to you? Oh, that meant everything. You know, it's one thing to have success, uh, you know, in, in other parts of the world, but it's another to to get the biggest response ever at home. You always want to be loved at home the most. And the fact that that was the biggest show I ever put on, and it was literally in my own backyard, like if, if the show would have, you know, the fact that it was great is great. But if it would have taken a flop, it would have been a short drive to the house. You know, <laughs> so it, was, it was beautiful to have so many people there that were there in the beginning. I had so many mm-hmm. fans that have been you know, following me for so many years. And so mm-hmm. it felt like a celebration. That's why it was like a we did it, not I did it. You know, it, right. was, it, it meant a lot.
1: How did the idea come about that you do a show at Dodger Stadium?
2: I actually got a phone call from uh, Robbie Praw over at Netflix, who's uh, the guy in charge mm-hmm. of comedy, basically. And he said, hey, man, we got this big comedy festival we're doing, and you haven't played the market in a while. And the last time I had played L.A., we did uh, shows at Staples Center when it was Staples Center before it got the new name. And uh, I refuse to that's say right. the new name. Yeah. <laughs> hey, doesn't it disgust you? I got to say it. It's Crypto.com Arena. It sounds
1: corny. It drives me nuts. I mean, it's Staples Center. And now you got to say Crypto.com.
2: But that's the yeah, right are gonna right change you. it to anything. Call, call out the Mamba Center. Call, you know, How about know. that? Make it something where it means something to the community. But anyway, yeah. uh, so we wanted to do something bigger than doing that show at, at uh, former Staples. And so right. he said, "What do you think of the idea of, of doing a show at Dodger Stadium?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, when you when you do the the math as far as uh, multiple arena shows, it was right. a calculated, right. uh, you know, chance that we took, and mm. fortunately it worked out." I wanted to know, I asked that question in all seriousness is because a lot
1: of times when it comes to talent, no matter how much we believe in ourselves, there is a level of courage that comes into play from the standpoint that we're going for it, but we don't know. We don't know how successful it's going to be. We don't know how popular we're going to be, et cetera, et cetera. I know if somebody ever came up to me and said, well, Stephen A., we got a show for you in this Dodger Stadium. The first question that's going to come to my mind is, wait a minute now, can I fill Dodger Stadium? That's the first question I would think. What about
2: you? That was exactly the first thing that came to mind was like, OK, you know, it's different to fill a comedy club. It's another to fill a theater and then an arena. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, when you stadium, you know, there, there, there had only been one other comic that I'd seen do that, which was Kevin Hart. I'd right. seen him do that in, in Philadelphia and he did it right. in his hometown. And so I'm like, OK, when I was there and I saw Kevin do it, I'm like, OK, what was successful about it? It was Kevin, very popular, and he was in his hometown. So I said, well, mm. you know, it's me and I'm in my own hometown here. So, I mean, <laughs> again, taking a chance on it. Even if if we would have done, you know, 60% of the of the stadium, at least we took a chance. Right. At least we know. We, we know now what the peak is. Don't go past that and, you know, take your ass back to uh, crypto. <laughs> there you go.
1: And credit to you. You bet on yourself, and that's what it's all about. But speaking of that, just betting on yourself, is it true? You used
2: to work at a telephone company. Is that is that what you were doing before you got into comedy? Oh, yeah. I was selling cell phones uh, back in the day when – You know, like if you drop a phone now, you shatter a screen, you're spending 150 bucks for a new screen. When I sold cell phones, I sold a phone and I'm sure you remember this phone, the Motorola PC 550 flip phone, which was a a brick phone. Like when you talk on the phone, you could feel the tumor growing in your head. It was like like wearing a microwave on your head. Yeah, the thick ones. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. You'd hang up and your ear would just be pulsing. (laughs) You're like, is that normal? And uh, I used to sell those and I was, I was killing it. I was, I was, you know, working on commission and I had a very good, uh, very good thing going on. I had medical insurance. I'd never had that before. I had Mm. dental, I had everything. And so my mom thought that I had made it and she thought it was stupid for me to give that up to pursue comedy. And fortunately, What made you do that? What made you give it up to pursue comedy? Because I didn't love selling cell phones. Mm. I enjoyed the work and I loved the pay and the benefits, but it wasn't my passion. I didn't, You know, I didn't feel like this is what I need to be doing. You know, I I enjoyed making no money, making people laugh and and staying out late at night and winding up at Denny's at four in the morning. That brought right. me more joy than than selling right. cell phones. And
1: then thinking about the joy and understanding that that's what you wanted to gear yourself towards. When do you reach that epiphany where you say, excuse me, it's just time to do this. It's just time to shove aside security. It's just time to shove aside comfortability and just go for where my passion lies. When do you, just for our listeners, when do you get to a point where you
2: just know that's when it is, that that's what I got to do? I think that if you truly feel passionate about something, you got to be willing to sacrifice comfort. I think a lot of times people get comfortable and it's like, look, the bills are paid. Everything's going good. The car notes good. Everything's good. We're actually paying for cable. We're not stealing it anymore. Things are great. Why rock the boat? And so I think people get so comfortable. They're afraid to chase their passion. They're afraid to chase their dreams. And so I had to actually, I got evicted. I had the repo guy looking for my car. You yeah. know, I'm surprised they didn't come after my teeth. I I had a lot of outstanding debts when I, when I went for it and my family got very upset with me, you know? So when do you go for it? There's no time like the now, if you really want it, if you truly feel passionate about what you want in life, you got to go for it from day one, when you feel it. And, and if you spend too much time planning and maybe next year and maybe next time, well, why even, why even do it? You know, it's called sacrifice for a reason. It's called sacrifice for a reason. Anybody who's listened to you, anybody who talks to you, anybody who's seen your work,
1: uh, I mean, I, they, 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 they love themselves some Fluffy. That's a very, very
2: unique name. No question about it. There's only one, and it's you. How'd you get that name? Uh, well, it was a nickname that was given to me by my mom many years ago. And mm-hmm. I told the story on stage where says, I I complained to my mom. I said, mama, you know, it's, it's, you know, they're making fun of me because I'm fat. And my mom was like, mijo, you're not fat, you're Fluffy. And when I said it, it got such a big laugh where at the end of the show, when people would come by to say hi, no one said, hey, Gabriel, good show, or hey, Mr. Iglesias. It was, hey, Fluffy. And I'm like, my last name was was already famous. And as far as comics go, there had only been one other Gabriel, that was Gabe Kaplan that was popular. And so I'm like, I already got two very unique names. And for some reason, Fluffy's what stuck. And so eventually I learned to roll with it. And then I started branding it. And now if you Google it, if you Google Fluffy right now, I challenge anybody listening, Google it right now. I am the first thing that will pop up. I beat out bunnies, quilts, comforters, cotton candy. I'm the number one fluffy thing on the planet (laughs) via the internet. So yeah,
1: yeah, there's only one. Fluffy Iglesias right here on No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith. I got to tell you, uh, I'm real proud of what you're doing. You're 46 years old. You're in good health. Uh, you've highlighted and you've chronicled how you've had some health battles in the past. You care to share with us what that's been like for you because you're looking good right now. You're looking good, but I'm told you lost
2: about a hundred pounds. You know? Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, you know, you're overweight when you lose a hundred pounds and people go, you know, you really should go on a diet. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm I'm pushing 350 right now. And, right. uh, you know, so, I mean, I was, I was much, much heavier and, um, you know, I'm, I'm diabetic. It's, it's no, that's no new, new, no news, no new news to anyone. Right. When the doctor told me, I was like, well, yeah, I, I kind of figured, uh, right. you know, <laughs> I eat a right. Snickers, my eyesight kind of like, there, I start blinking you fast. Yep. Um, you know, I've always dealt with with my health. It's it's always been an issue since I was a kid, and I'm still dealing with it. It's still a day to day thing. I wear a monitor on my arm that keeps me in check of my you know my sugar. And uh, you know, every day's a struggle, man. That's that's my my little cross to bear. Uh, everything else in life is going great, but every day it's a struggle to you know try to control the weight and try to control the health. Hard to get off those Snickers. You, you know, especially after Halloween. You know how much that's right. Snickers that right now Snickers that's like it says Halloween on it is on sale. So I'm just saying, <laughs> how do you not take advantage? Really? But uh, yeah, it is. It's always a struggle. That that's my uh, that's my my kryptonite. You know, be, be, being being uh, you
1: know, first of all, as an Hispanic individual, what does an Hispanic person prefer? Hispanic or Latino? I can't stand when people don't ask y'all that question. I mean, we want to be, I'm a, I'm a black man. Okay. I prefer black to African-American, but I'm not offended by either. But as, as, as an Hispanic individual, is it Hispanic or Latino? What do you prefer? First of all,
2: you know, when I, when I was born, there was uh, two options. You were either Caucasian, or Afro American. I was uh clearly not one of them. So I was Caucasian for a long time. And then I was right. Mexican, and then I was Mexican American. And then there was Chicano, then Hispanic, and then Latino. And now the, the new term I think is Latin Uh I maxed out at Latino. I can't I can't get with Latin X. That's that just it there I am go. all about inclusivity. I'm all about, you know, uh, equality. I love everything that the word stands for. I'm just not a fan of the word itself. So I'm all about everything that it means. I just I just couldn't get past. I, I maxed out at Latino. So I, you know, you can call me any one of those. You can call me any one of those. You could even still call me Caucasian. But yeah, I'm go. not. I'm I ain't not doing Latin.
1: that. I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. There's enough yeah. Caucasians out there. I'm calling you Latino. Okay, <laughs> but let's let's roll with that. But 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 Fluff, let me ask you this, man. Because George Lopez, I mean, I was a huge fan of his for many many years. I, I still love the guy personally, to be honest with you. Uh, but you being a Latino who's a comedian. What's it like following in those footsteps to some degree? Because obviously he's one of those guys that set a standard that any Latino I would imagine feels obligated to some degree to pay homage to and ultimately follow in those footsteps. Talk to me about what that means to you and how much
2: does that stay with you as you go about the business of continuing to build your career? Yeah, well, there's there's been so many people. I mean, you know, George was influenced by Freddie Prince. And then of course Desi Arnaz was the first one to really yes. lead a a sitcom. And that's then of right. course you got guys that I love you know, Lucy. back in the days uh, Paul Rodriguez. Uh yeah. who, one of those, Paul was actually one of the guys that was my inspiration. It was Eddie Murphy, Robert Williams, Paul Rodriguez. That's that's when, you know, uh when yeah. I first saw George, I was already doing stand-up, but you know, he's mm. you know, he's done some amazing things, uh doing arenas, doing a sitcom, uh doing films. And so yeah, I mean. You know, uh, there's there's a there's a nice small group of people that have have come before me. And I feel like it's it's my responsibility to to keep that going so that then the next the next group of people coming along can, you know, hopefully either be inspired or, or have an opportunity based on something that I did. Every comedian that I've ever met tells me, you know, and I'm good
1: friends with Jamie Foxx and they all talk about even though Jamie Foxx is, 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 you know, he's an actor extraordinaire. He's just in for crying out loud. He's an executive producer, director. This guy does everything. But I ask this question in all sincerity from this perspective. As a comedian, being Latino, um, you make people laugh, you make people laugh. It doesn't matter what their ethnicity is. But when we talk about the day and times that we're living in and the level of sensitivities and sensibilities that come with it, I know you're one of those folks that tries to bring everybody together. How challenging is it for you to do that, particularly in this day and time with all the challenges your community faces, as well as mine and others?
2: People are always going to have something to say. Uh, No matter how good your intentions are, people are always going to try to find a way to twist it and make it sound like something that it isn't. And I think, you know, I work very hard to make it clear that Hey, I'm just trying to have a good time with the show. I want everybody to be together. I'm not trying to be divisive. I'm not trying to push people to one side or another. I'm not trying to tell people how to live their lives or what shot to take or what to drink or how to eat or how to live. I'm just sharing stories about me. And I feel like if somebody's going to get offended or somebody's not going to like that, then maybe they need to question themselves because at this point, I'm making it clear this is my agenda. I'm not trying to rock the boat. But yet you're feeling rocked for some reason. And if I'm not mm-hmm. as woke or as alert or as aware or as in touch as people think I should be, uh, you know, there, there comes a point when enough is enough. And and I'm not trying to say that I'm against uh, progress or growth or making things better. But there comes a point when it's just bullshit and they got to just yeah. cool it, you know, like, come right. on. There was a whole life before. And, and for some reason, it, it worked a certain way. And yes, I'm all about growth and progress, but certain Mm. things, uh, yeah. I agree with you, man. And I got to tell you, just sharing
1: this with you, being in the position that I'm in, and I say this as, as a black man, there have been many instances where I've told folks, particularly folks in white America, the difference between them and me is that They go to work every day with a job to do. I go to work with a responsibility because I have a community that's constantly saying to me, you got a voice, you got a microphone, you got to do X, Y, and Z. You got to address this issue. You got to talk about that. You got to tackle this. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with sports per se when I was always just doing sports. Obviously, I'm doing more than that with my podcast now, but that's the kind of onus and responsibility they they put on my shoulders. And what I've said to folks in response is, I don't feel an obligation to agree with my community by any stretch of the imagination, but I do feel a responsibility to at least make sure their voices are heard, whatever they're thinking and whatever they're feeling. What about you? Do you find yourself at times being a Latino, not necessarily agreeing, not necessarily even wanting to touch issues that your community may want you to touch, but you also feel an obligation to sit up there and say, all right, this is what they're thinking. This is how they feel. Just so you all know where they're coming from. Is
2: that challenging for you at all? Every day I get approached uh, about, you know what, you know, how come you're not talking about this? How come you're not talking about that? How come you're not not voicing the situation that's happening over here with, with whatever, you know, whatever's going on? There's always a fight. There's always a struggle. There's always an issue. And there comes a time when, all right, what is it that you're doing? Are you Are you an entertainer? Are you what's what's your position? Because there comes a point when people will look at you for what you are and people will judge it no matter what. So they'll either say, hey, you got a voice in a big platform. You should say X, Y and Z. And then if you do, then there's people that will say you're just a comedian. Who's asking you? You're a comic. You're not a politician. You're not an activist. You're not a scientist. You're not, you know, why are you what? Why why don't you stay in your lane? So you either get you should say something or you should stay in your You're always going to run into a situation where you saying something, you know, uh, for someone else is going right. to be an issue. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, every day there's there's those things where uh, whether it's it's having to do with, you know, something that's happening at, at the borders. There's always something happening at the borders or whether it's a always shooting or whether it's, you know, <laughs> they always right. want you to. Voice, but what is it that you're saying? And is it going to be helpful? Is it is what I'm going to say? Add, uh, uh, make a change, make a difference. Uh, Is it going to spread the right type of awareness where something can be done? And and then at the end, is it like is it my thing to do? Is that my responsibility? You know. So every every I'm, tra- I'm telling you, I know what you mean because every day my right. my social media is I'm like reading it. And I'm like, wow, okay, I I you know and and. I I do my best to just try to do what I do, which is entertain. I signed on to be an entertainer, and I know that is my strength. That is what I'm supposed to do. And I think that if I start getting away from the focus of just making people smile, making people happy, making people laugh, if I get away from that, then then I think that people are gonna feel uh, like I'm doing a disservice to to my fans, to my community, because this is who I am.
4: a lifetime uh-huh. the clock sticking like my lifeline until i flat line i push it to the red line who gonna stop me high who gonna stop me high what's the
1: name of your bus drop your tour bus right this name is dave is that dave yeah. that's dave now you did you recently if i remember correctly i heard the skit that you did talking about him And I want you to share the story that you told about him and how you feel about your bus driver and the loyalty and the love that you have for him, but how there's a dichotomy that exists between you two. Because guess what? Some would say you didn't get political, but I'd say you did get political with that one, but you were absolutely (laughs) hilarious when
2: you were doing it. Share that story with my audience. Being able to uh, share a story, an idea, or an opinion, and putting so much humor behind it and just making it so that you know, people could understand. Um, I have a tour bus driver named Dave and Dave has been my bus driver for over 10 years. And uh, if if, you know, if we were in a room together, you'd probably think that Dave and I would be the last two people to be hanging out together. You know, I am who I am and I guess the easiest way to describe Dave is uh, the word merca. <laughs> <laughs> America. Not America America, America. And so It took many right. years for us to just be around each other for him to see, you know, everybody on the bus. It's like it's a it's a rainbow on that bus of people. And he had to see for himself firsthand being right there that, you know what, man, not everybody's You know, what he sees on TV and what he sees in person are are two different things. And I feel like we've learned a lot from each other, you know, and and being around each other and developing this friendship over the years. Um, Mm -hmm. It's the point now where we just talk smack. And it's funny because we know where we're coming from. You know, the guy, he stayed at my house. You know, I considered him to be one of my best friends. We might not agree politically at times, and that's okay. It's okay to have a difference in opinion um, as long as you're willing to have a conversation and be respectful and i think as right. long as people are respectful with each other you can talk about anything and be okay but basically the story was you know on the tour bus he drives in the front and there's a door so you press a button and it's like star trek where this door kind of slides across and it closes right. it's These sliding pocket doors and right. uh there was something on tv about you know at the time it was that whole build the wall thing yep and uh, wall, yep. he overheard us talking, me and my other buddy, who's also Mexican, and we're talking about this right. on TV. And he, he overhears us, and then he winds up pressing the button and he says, I'm building a wall while the door's throw <laughs> And, and he's like, really, dude?
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> really? Not, and, not, and, and then he
2: texts me, text me a message and he said, and you're paying for it. I'm like, you mother. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. Got him. Got him, get got you good, and I de- I definitely get where you're coming from. Listen, on this podcast, I've had Sean Hannity as my guest. Now I don't believe in what Sean Hannity believes in. I mean, I think it's safe to say that our views are a bit opposed to one another. But I still know the guy, and and, and I still I'm still friends with the guy because I don't believe that one's political views should define who you are as people all the time, and that and and and. Give this impression that you can't possibly get along. That's the kind of message you're trying to send to a lot Absolutely. of people. Absolutely. I
2: think it is possible. You know what? Just because you have a difference in opinion doesn't mean you can't have great relationships with people. Mm-hmm. I think people are afraid to have different opinions because they're like, no, I can't I can't be around you. I can't hang out with you. You know? And it's like, I, I feel like you're just robbing yourself of an opportunity to get to know someone for something else. Right. Maybe that doesn't yeah. fit you, you know? Shoot, I got friends that are vegans. That doesn't mean I'm sitting there eating carrots with them. (laughs) That's just how you live your life. And this is how I live my life. And so. Exactly. (laughs) Now, did
1: you have that attitude because you were the youngest of six and just growing up in that kind of environment where you had to accept different views because that's what happens when you grow up in a big family? Or is that something that
2: you just gravitated towards as you got older? I think that's something I learned over the years because as a kid, you know, all my siblings were grown up and out of the house. There's a, like a, a 13 year gap between my sister and myself. So it was like, I grew up wow. as an only child. Uh, all wow. of my views were based on years of just traveling. You know, I've been to every state I've been around the world. I've met so many people and seen so many things and, and I've gotten different vibes and emotions and energy from people. And, you know, uh it's one of those you 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 have to learn. They say, you know, so I apologize for that. They always say you learn a lot from reading or traveling. And I was fortunate that I learned a lot, uh, you know, just moving around and being around mm-hmm. different people.
1: Yeah. I want to get into your background just a little bit more from this perspective. I mean, you honed your comedic skills in some pretty interesting places. What are some of the comedy spots that served
2: as an inspiration for you as you was growing up in this business? Um, you know, early on, I spent a lot of time in... Uh, Outside of California, so I was in Arizona, uh, New Mexico, Texas, Florida. Funny, all these right. states. Wow. <laughs> so that's where he got his influences, right. huh? Texas and Florida. There yeah, we go. Uh,
1: Some of it, right? Some of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of Not them, wrong yeah. it. Nothing.
2: But uh, that's right. You know, I, I've like I said, I've, I've been fortunate that I've been able to perform all over the world, and uh, but early on, definitely, it was just a lot of the Southwest is is where mm-hmm. I, I was able to perform. Uh, right. It was it was hard getting stage time most of the places yeah. where i performed weren't comedy clubs it was little holes in the wall a bar uh, i did a lot of garages i did a lot of private functions and so you know yeah. i had to i had to work wherever i could 2018 the hollywood reporter included you in its top
1: 40 comedy players issue alongside comedy giants like jerry seinfeld chris rock lorne michael's i mean these are some legends that have been mentioned and now your name is amongst them when you hear that and you you see that your career is considered that successful. How, how, how do you speak
2: on that? I mean, what kind of emotions hit you? It's nice to have that comparison. It's nice to get credit. It's nice to see good things written about you and and to be included in such a an elite group of, of entertainers. Um, I, I try my best to not let it get to me because as quickly as they can write about you, they can stop writing about you. As quickly as you're write in you is as quick as you're out. And so I think it's more of an alert like you better start working twice as hard because, you know, now the expectation is going to be there.
1: You said that as you were making history with some of these shows, because I just want to let my audience know I wrote this down here. You've headlined and sold out Madison Square Garden in New York, Staples Center in Los Angeles before it became Crypto.com Arena. okay? (laughs) Sydney Opera House in Sydney, Australia, and of course, Dodger Stadium. And you said that as you were making history with the shows, it was the most beautiful
2: and painful time in your life. Explain that. Why did you say that? Uh, the most beautiful and painful time of my life? You know, everybody sees what's on stage, but there's a lot of work and a lot of things that happen in the behind the scenes. You know, uh, the the people that are together, the team, the amount of traveling, the amount of time, uh, you know, a lack of sleep because, you know, I'm, I work at night, but most Press and publicity happens during the day. So I'm burning the candle a lot at both ends. Not to mention the fact that I'm dealing with my health issues. I'm always go, 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 go. So lack of sleep, my stress is through the roof. You know, I'm like, I just recently had to double my blood pressure medication because I'm like, yeah, it was just, you know, so dealing with all of that. And then at the same time, you're doing something that's so incredible. And so it's like, yes, I mean, it's a it's a fine balance and so it is. Though, some of the most beautiful time, and some of the most painful. And I think the two go hand in hand. Uh, I'm fortunate that I'm still here. How do you how do you how do you balance that
1: though? Because at the end of the day, no matter what you're doing, it it it, it doesn't
2: mean much if you're gone. It doesn't mean much. You got to be here. It doesn't mean much. If you're gone. You got to be here. Right. You got to be here. Uh, and and right. I keep saying to myself, I don't want to be Elvis on the toilet. You know, I, I want to make sure that I can enjoy Graceland. <laughs> You know, uh, so every few months there is that conversation of, hey, man, you know, we got to dial it back a little bit. There's always, you know, every week there's a a meeting to have conversations. Where am I at? How am I doing? What's going on? You know, do we keep this going? And that's what I say the balance, making sure that my team is involved and knows, hey, you got to make sure that the head of the train is working okay, because if the train breaks down, everybody breaks down. Let me flip this conversation to the industry uh, of of comedy. We've
1: been seeing a lot of stuff happening. We've been seeing people that have gone after comedians. Uh, We've seen the woke culture literally hold accountable comedians that said stuff 15, 20, 25 years ago. Stuff like this. I mean, how difficult does that make doing your job every day, witnessing how society has transitioned? from the point where, once upon a time, if you were a comedian, just make us laugh. Just make us laugh. Now, it's make us laugh, but make us laugh the right way without being offensive to anybody. What's that like?
2: I know that based on the rules of today, I could be canceled for previous content. I know that I have material out there and bits out there that at the time were completely like, eh, it's funny, whatever, you know? But they can be nitpicked and pulled apart and made so that, like, hey, you know, you really should should apologize for what you said back then. And it's, right. you know, again, I, I think if you know where I'm coming from, fans aren't going to do that to me. If, if yeah. someone's, if people are my fans, they're not going to come after me that way. It's people that right. have an agenda to go after someone and try to find, you know, let me, let me bring myself up by bringing someone else down. And right. I think that, you know, first of all, I would never apologize for my previous content because, mm-hmm. you know, my material is my material and it was completely acceptable at the time. Would I do that material right. now? Probably not if, if it's that, you know, controversial or that much of an issue. Right. I think I'd be smart enough not to and um, sensitive enough to the situation. But, you know, uh, again, I'm just trying to be as inclusive with everyone as possible and be good. And if someone's still going to come after me, then I think that's all. Right. Uh, well, are you are talking
1: that- to somebody that believes that's all BS from the Not you. I'm talking about those folks from the standpoint that I'm one of those guys. Can we just get to a place and a point in our life? In a society where we're able to say from this point forward, boom, 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 as opposed to, I mean, look, look, man, I don't remember what the hell I said 20 years ago. I don't remember what I said 25 years ago. I have no clue. I have no recollection. Can we get to a point in our society where we're able to say, okay, these are the rules of the game today. Operate along those
2: lines so we're all good. Is that what you wish? Is that basically what you're wishing for? And by the way, and if people are forcing you to apologize, is it really an apology? If you're being made yeah. to say certain things, is that really how you I don't feel? Think so. Or is it just so that so. people can hear it? You know, I think deep down, people are going to know what's what's in your heart and how you feel because mm-hmm. you've seen people do damage control and go out on a whole parade right. of like I didn't mean that, I wasn't supposed to be that way, right. you misunderstood it was, and then it gets swept under the rug, and then they're just back to normal mm-hmm. like nothing happened. And right. I, I mean, come on. So yeah, I'm I'm fed up with that personally, and that's why I'm having, so I. keep having the conversation of like like now the conversation is I've been doing this for so long. When are, when is it time to retire? Because if it's going to mm. continue to be an uncomfortable environment to perform in, and you have to always be mindful, like you know, it, it takes away from your creativity. You got to be able mm. to take chances and go out there and do what you do. And and but it, is it at that point for you where it's uncomfortable? Right, it, there? it is uncomfortable. comfortable, and 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 the mm. reason why I say that is because. Again, I try not to be divisive. And so the fact that people will still make comments, I'm like, come on, come on. Look, I, right. I'm the last guy that there should be any issues with because I just want everybody to have right. fun and smile and be happy. You know, and so I'm not trying to.
1: Exactly. And you don't get into politics. Even when you touched on it, you, you mention no names. I mean, there's that, that, a perfect way to handle it. Perfect way to handle it. And you're filling out stadiums or whatever. So my advice to you would be like, screw them all. Hell with all of that. Keep doing what you're doing because you're filling stadiums and all of that stuff. You're good to go. You know, Until they tell you otherwise, you keep doing what you're doing. Before I let you get on out of here, though, what if somebody walked up to the stage, Fluff, and slapped you? <laughs> what would you do? What would you do, Fluff?
2: Well, I've actually had people come up on stage before. And uh, yeah, it's happened. Uh, Ironically enough, the night before that situation happened to Chappelle at the Hollywood Bowl, I had a show in Seattle at a casino and a a gentleman jumped up on the stage and came at me. Now, the difference is this guy wasn't trying to hit me. He wasn't trying to tackle me. Uh, He was drunk and he was trying to just meet me. He was an excited fan, but he went about it clearly the wrong way. Now, fortunately, I had security there and security was able to take him down safely right. and right. get him off the stage <laughs> safely and allow right. him to sober up. And then they question him and then they found out what was going on. So I, I feel like right. having a good, a good security team is, is important. But if you would have gotten to me, uh, I think, you know, if, if I get, if someone comes up and slaps me, uh, I, I think, first of all, I think they're going to be a little fast. I'm, I'm not the fastest guy in the world. So I think they're going right. to, they're going to pull it off, but I, uh, I think once they hit you, man, I got to take them down. You know, I'm a big guy. Right. I learned that trick a long time ago in football. Just yeah. grab and drop your weight, and then take them with you. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully, exactly. security, exactly. security gets on top of them. That's uh, right. Because I mean, I that that what happened to Chris Rock was was uncalled for, and clearly, you can tell that there's more issues going on there with Will Smith than just Chris Rock making fun of his wife. Um, right. You know, there, there's something else there, and I, I, right. I felt it. I could tell. Like he's just dealing so with a lot. Uh, so did I. But I'm 100 in Chris Rock's corner. And you say what you want. Chris took that hit. He did not go down. Yeah. You know, Chris Rock weighs right. like my leg. You know, he's like yeah, yeah. 100, <laughs> about 160, but, 160. Yeah, about 100 that. And that's,
1: and, right. Uh, that's right.
2: So, you know, that told me, man, who would have thought the guy that played Muhammad Ali actually hits like Carlton, you know? Wow. So, <laughs> couldn't do it. That's sorry, Will. man. Sorry, Will. Before
1: I let you get on out of here, man, where, where do you go from here? Things are going real big for you. Denny's. Really happy for all your success. Where the Denny's. Other than Denny's. I'm talking about after the food. Where do you go from here in the career, Fluff? Well, I mean, where do you go from here? Because you pulled off a lot thus far, and you're still
2: grinding and you're still climbing. Where do you go from here? You know, uh, I think that I'm, I'm putting the energy out there about the Oscars. I did mention that in my set that, you know, I, I think it would have been cool. So maybe I'll go for that as a, as a goal. And uh, also, too, I'm going to put it out there that, hey, I you know, Elon, Bezos, hey, I, I'd love to be the first comedian to do uh, five minutes in space. Okay. Really? I have no desire to do that. Hell no.
1: William Shatner, the Captain Kirk went up in space. I'm still not the fluff. I have no desire to do that. Why would you want to do that? Oh, come on. I mean, at, you know, at this point, what else is there to do? I, 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 I'm i just wait. saying, oh, so you go above the earth and you look down and, oh, look at what it looks like out here. And look down. So what? Go up there,
2: uh, take some pictures and send it to the flat earthers. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: Kyrie Irving's listening to you he's listening to you make no mistake about it my man listen buddy I appreciate the time man thank you so much continued success and I can't wait till I have an opportunity to get some time off work but I can go catch one of your shows man I'm really proud of you really happy for you my man
2: thank you so much I really appreciate this opportunity thank you
4: this is the moment of a lifetime the clock like my lifeline until I flatline, I push it to the red line. gonna stop me, high? Who stop me, high?
1: Thanks again to the funny man himself, Fluffy. My brother Fluffy. That's what I'm gonna call him from now on, my brother Fluffy. No first or last names needed. Fluffy stands out alone. You Google Fluffy, that's who's coming up on Google. You you write the word Fluffy, it's one person coming up. It's gonna be Fluffy Iglesias, okay? So we're gonna just call him Fluffy. Mad love to him, mad respect for him for, you know, his honesty and his candor and talking about a lot of things. And you know what I peel from it? I started this show with my opening monologue talking about health from a physical perspective. But you know something? The mental and emotional affects your health just as much as anything else. Yeah, he's monitoring his sugar levels just like he told us. All of that stuff is true. But he's also guarding his mind. He listens and watches and Pays attention to the society that we're living in, in in this day and age, this woke culture and how it's influenced the comedic world where people got to worry about what they did 15, 20 years ago and in their career because they told jokes that were funny back then and were deemed appropriate back then. But now everybody wants them canceled. I completely agree with them. I don't know what the hell I said 15, year, 20 years ago. I mean, if you didn't kill anybody, and you didn't do other people harm, and all you did was tell jokes and it happened to hurt people's feelings, but that's something that was considered okay back then, because you didn't know you were hurting people's feelings. You just thought you was making jokes and making people laugh. I do think it's time in our society to get to a point where we're able to say, "Hey, that was then. This is now." Let's look at where we are now. Let's move forward. I do think that's safe to do. I do think that's safe to say. And I think that's one of the things that Fluffy was pointing to. Not Puffy, ladies and gentlemen. Fluffy. As in Fluffy Iglesias, the comedian. Not Puffy, the music mogul. So make sure we're clear. I just appreciate where he was coming from. Born in San Diego, raised in Long Beach, doing the things that he's done. In public housing, Section 8. Growing up poor working for a phone company, but recognizing that guess what? That's not where my passion lied. I made a good check. I was killing it. I was paying my bills. I had health insurance, but I was miserable because I wasn't following my passion. Ladies and gentlemen, how many of you out there are stressed and are busy stressing other people because you're not happy? Nobody did a damn thing to you. The decisions you made or were fearful of making influenced you to a point where the only solace you felt in your mind, body and soul was to bring stress and potential misery upon other people. That familiar to y'all? Have you seen what's going on in this world? Hip hop industry, professional athletics, politics, Pop culture and entertainment. I can say Kanye, Kyrie. I can bring you people on Capitol Hill. Election deniers and all of this other stuff. I can give you what me and Fluffy gave you with Will Smith. It's all inescapable. Ladies and gentlemen, those are health issues too. Which explains why Fluffy is saying, I ain't trying to make anybody miserable. I'm trying to bring people together. I'm trying to make everybody laugh. And I'm trying to do so without bringing up divisive topics that would divide and agitate and irritate folks into stressful situations that would provoke them to be stressful to other people. Makes a lot of damn sense to me. I think it should to you too. Because as we continue to march forward, when we talk about this podcast, No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith, it's spelled K N O W. It's not no mercy as in I'm not going to have any mercy. It doesn't prompt you to believe that I am going to have mercy either. It means I know how to identify. When it's appropriate to institute and implement. Because at some point in time, we all need it. And at other times, some of us may not. Because showing mercy might give people an opportunity to believe that guess what? It's okay to do the things that I've done. No matter how vile, how disgusting, how insensitive, how inappropriate, how irresponsible, it doesn't matter because it's what I wanted to do. To hell with what anybody else thought. We got to be better. And by being better, we might feel better. And by feeling better, it might motivate us and incentivize us and energize us to do better. And by doing better, it might have a ripple effect that has such a profound and positive impact on the lives of other people. Who knows? You may end up making them laugh and smile. Just as much as Fluffy did at Dodger Stadium, at Madison Square Garden. Even as far as the Opera House in Sydney, Australia. Love the fact that y'all continue to listen to this podcast. I'm so grateful and gratified that you continue to do that. Thank you so much. First month of the podcast are in. Everybody's saying that it's been a raving success. I can tell you I'm not satisfied. Cause I'm really ever satisfied. I'm constantly scratching and clawing and climbing to be the best because that's my muse. That's what makes me happy. That's what makes me fulfilled. It's what makes me smile. But it doesn't mean that I don't recognize and appreciate the contribution that you've made to this podcast. No mercy with Stephen A. Smith would not exist if it were for not you or if it were not for you all. I'm here because y'all are here with me. And I thank you for doing that. And I hope it continues. And no matter what you see me on TV doing, what basketball game, what football game, what baseball world series game or anything else you see me talking about. Remember one thing above all else, when it comes to listening to this podcast, you don't have to know sports to know mercy. Peace. Love everybody until next time. Guess who's got a memoir coming out, ladies and gentlemen? Yours truly, Stephen A. Smith. It's entitled Straight Shooter, and it's available right now for pre order. I have signed these books just so you know. So you can visit StraightShooterBook.com to order your autographed copy today. In the book, I talk about my life before ESPN, growing up in Hollis, Queens, New York, how sports proved to be my salvation. I talk about some of the mistakes I've made in my life and my impact on the world of sports. The book is called Straight Shooter, and it's written to help motivate you to overcome setbacks that may maybe prevent you from reaching your dreams. So go right now and order your autographed copy of my memoir, straightshooterbook.com. Don't wait. It's entitled Straight Shooter. Check it out.
0: Don't miss it. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. A-Rod and I host a show called The Deal, and it's all about the intersection of sports, business, and culture. Recently, we got to sit down with Stephen A. to talk about something a little different for him. His business. If I had to
1: crystallize where business came to the forefront of my mind was when I got fired in 2009. There's a difference between making money and learning business.
2: Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math and Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi,
3: this is Kurt Woodsmith.